And let's begin by enjoying the sound of the bell. Welcome everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. It's really a gift that you're here, especially to, to come to a Dharma talk on, the, on suffering. That's such a rare thing that anyone wants to look at that. So here you are. So thank you for the whole world for that. The Buddha began his spiritual search because he wanted to understand the world's vast suffering. And after he'd been protected from suffering as a young person, it must have been an enormous shock to see illness and aging and death. And we're no different. We've been trying to protect ourselves from suffering all our lives. And until we see the vastness of our personal suffering, we'll not be able to transform our, at the deepest levels. We'll simply continue finding ways to avoid what we don't like and grasp after what we do like. Until we're willing to experience our suffering, we'll generate more and more difficulty for ourselves and others. There's that adage, what isn't transformed is transmitted. So I'm so grateful for you for being here to transform your suffering so that we don't collectively continue to transmit it in the world. So what I want to talk about tonight is the origin of our suffering. You know, what is this? What is suffering? And give you a, a model by which you might be able to understand and recognize the suffering as it arises in your own life. And then finally, to give us a practice that we can use when our suffering does arise so that we can use that practice to transform it instead of transmit it. That's what I hope to do. So let's talk about the origin of suffering. Where does it come from? Well, we see ourselves as separate beings. Why is that so? Because it feels like we're born from nothing and that we will eventually return to nothing. And this is terrifying to think that 
we just came out of the ether and will return to the ether? That's the essential human fear. That's the fear of death. And this is where our suffering arises from, ultimately. And because we see ourselves as separate beings pitted against time and pitted against the elements and pitted against each other, we generate strategies to protect ourselves from that. And those strategies in Buddhism are known as the three poisons. And that's by, by one label, the, you could describe them as greed, hatred, and ignorance. But that's just one label. There's lots of ways to describe them. And I don't want to get caught in those particular words. So when I bring up greed, we could also call that hatred. I mean, excuse me, a grasping. You know, greed is wanting more of something. Or craving. Desiring. And when I use the word hatred, it could actually be phrased as rejecting or resisting or even judging. And when I use the term ignorance, we could say it's, it's avoiding or withdrawing or tuning out. But however we want to phrase these, whatever words we want to use, the three poisons mean that we want more of what we think protects us. We want less of what we think threatens us. And we want to ignore anything that might shake up our current beliefs. I'm going to say that one more time because it's really important. So the three poisons really mean that we want more of what we think will protect us. We want less of what we think will threaten us. And we want to ignore anything that might shake up our current beliefs. Those are the three poisons. And that's how our suffering arises. That essential fear of being annihilated arises as those three strategies. Okay, so how do those three poisons actually cause our suffering? I want to give you a little model here. So this is a this is sort of a, a mind game. And uh, you know, take it if it works for you. Let it go if it doesn't. So um, imagine that you're in a movie theater and you're experiencing the continual flow of events that is your life. Well, you're sitting there in this comfortable seat. And before you run all these events, just like a movie. Now, in an awakened state, we would sit there and observe in this curious present moment awareness. We just experience the flow of this of life presenting itself and presenting itself and presenting itself. And if we did that, our life would be really easy. We have nothing to defend, nothing to grab onto. We'd be free. But unfortunately, that's not what we do. Instead, what we do is, as we sit there and watch this movie of our life unfold in front of us, we grab a single frame out of the flow. And we disengage from our life. We disengage from that movie. 
and we run out with that single frame into the lobby and we ruminate about whether that single frame protects us or threatens us. So we grab a single frame out and we run away from our life and we look at it and we say, is this good? Is this bad? Does this shake me up and I don't want to see it? So if we discover that that single frame that we've just grabbed and ran out to the lobby with threatens our sense of a separate self, what do we do? Well, we resist it. I don't want that. Uh, maybe we even try to destroy it, eliminate it. And um, likely, we'll blame somebody else for creating it. Your fault. You did that to me. And on the other hand, if, if uh, what we pull out of that movie, that one frame, and we run out to the lobby with, uh, seems to protect our sense of a separate self, then we will grasp onto it, hold it tight. We'll try and make it permanent. It'll last forever. And we'll credit ourselves with making it. I did this. Look how great I am. So meanwhile, while we're out in the lobby, that movie of our life just keeps playing, but we're no longer there. We ignore its presence. And we choose instead to stay out in the lobby, battling for our separate self-survival. We miss so much. So we can keep this up for a while and eventually our anger at what we see on that single frame or our clinging to that single frame will exhaust its energy. And so we head back into the theater. We take our seat until the next frame comes by that threatens us in some way or that we want to grab onto. And we grab that frame and we run back out to the lobby and we repeat the process. So this is, the, this is the mental formation that we use to suffer. If we could simply stay with the flow of our lives and be the kind observer, it would be quite easy. But we don't do that. We keep grabbing frames and running out, missing our life. So I think this is how most of us live our lives. And there's no need for judging or blaming ourselves for that. Um, we all do that because of causes and conditions that we uh, don't have control over, or maybe only partial control over. And one of those uh, causes and conditions is that we are at core animals with a survival instinct. I, I think this is probably programmed into our DNA at some level, self-preservation. So, of course, we're going to respond in this way. It doesn't mean we can't transform that, but it's, it's there. It's a natural tendency. And another cause or condition that, that makes this um, habitual for us is that we've been raised in families and in a culture where we believe this process is the only way. In our culture, we teach ourselves that winners are the one who successfully accumulate everything that protects them. The more they accumulate of those things, the more they're the winners. And the, the losers are the ones who get defeated by the things that threaten them. 
and that the most reliable people in our lives are the ones who remain consistent by ignoring new information. You know, that, that some, oh, we know they're gonna do the same thing over and over and over again, they're reliable. So our culture um, raises these things to something that we would aspire to. Grab more great stuff for myself, accept no defeat, don't change. Those are the three poisons right there. So no need for suffer, no need for self judgment on this. It's, it's a big deal, what we're engaging here. Okay, so given that big deal. <clears throat> How do we make our suffering, which is inevitable, into an art form? How do we do this so there's a possibility of transformation? Um, in other words, if suffering is wired into us and acculturated into us, how do we respond? And this is where our practice comes in. The Buddha touched the reality of suffering and created a practice for us that works, that worked for him, and it works for us. And this practice repeatedly retrains our minds to respond productively instead of destructively. But that doesn't mean it's quick or easy. That's one of the reasons I feel such gratitude that you're here. Because it's not quick or easy, and few of us will do it but it's the most important thing we can do. And why do I say that? Because when we liberate our mind from the three poisons, the whole world benefits. The whole world, including us. Everything we do ripples out. And every time we get freer, the rest of us get freer. So it really matters. We have the possibility of living an awakened life, an awakened life that expresses compassion rather than the conflict that we usually know by living within the three poisons. By having compassion that expresses love instead of greed or avoidance. So let's talk about a practice we could use for freeing our minds from suffering. And this practice is, is uh, quite simple. Hopefully it's simple to remember. But you know, freedom um, is often misunderstood as a life free of suffering. And that's just our suffering mind hoping that the world will change so that we don't have to. You know, our suffering mind, hoping that only frames come from the movie that are the things we want to grasp onto. That it's an endless cycle of, oh, that's great. I want more of that. Oh, that's great. I want more of that. Ooh. And we just, just live like that. But you, we know that this is not what happens. Our suffering is unavoidable. So our practice is not to avoid suffering, 
but to know how to be with our suffering rather than flee from our suffering. So here's the practice. The practice is feeling without fleeing or feeding. Fleeing, excuse me, feeling without fleeing or feeding. So I'm going to, I'm going to unpack that. It's a lot of F and EEs. <laughs> Hopefully that makes it easier to remember instead of harder to remember. So let's talk about feeling. Feeling. When we become practitioners, we make a vow to be present for our lives. To be present for this moment and not be lost in the past and future. We make a vow to be present for just this. Just this feeling. Just this thought. Just this bodily sensation. Just this emotion. It doesn't matter what the just this is. We make a vow to be there for it. Just like we're sitting in the movie watching our life. We vow to sit and be there. So sometimes feeling the just this of the present moment is really lovely. It's really lovely. You know, like taking the first lick of a strawberry ice cream cone. Mm, lovely. Or in the Northwest this last week, we had the first spring sunshine. And to feel that on your cheek, lovely. Mm. But sometimes feeling the just this of this present moment is challenging. Many of us are feeling the pain of our aging bodies. Or maybe we're reliving that, those gut-wrenching memories from our past, things that happened to us that were abuse or betrayal. Yet our vow to be present with this moment, to feel this moment as it is, is not just a vow to feel the good moments, it's a vow to feel all the moments whether we like it or not. So this is the first step of the practice, to feel just this. Feel just this. You know, another word we could use for feeling just this is practicing mindfulness. And next, in the next month, we'll be talking about mindfulness and have several weeks focused on mindfulness. So we'll go into what that really means to feel by practicing mindfulness. But I think you have a pretty good idea. I mean, this is, the, this is a, a central teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh that um, we know about feeling our lives, being mindfully aware of our lives. 
So that's the first step. Feel. Feel what's here. And the second step. <clears throat> once we feel what's there, once we notice what is there, we have to make another vow, which is not to flee from what we feel, not to run away from what we feel. And this step of not feeling can also be called concentration. Uh, when difficult experiences arise, we often don't want to stay with them. Right? When our body's in pain, we want the pain to end. Simple as that. When we feel shame, we want the shame to end. But concentration, but not fleeing, holds us in that experience. We vow not to flee from that experience. <laughs> The question that comes up, of course, is why would we want to do this, right? If we're feeling something difficult, if we're feeling our, our, our suffering, why would we not want to flee our suffering? I mean, isn't it better to get things over with as soon as possible? Let's get on with it, you know, let's go. And here's the reason. Suffering is our teacher. Suffering is the mud in which our lotus grows. And if we don't nurture the mud, we don't grow a beautiful lotus flower. We have to stay there and tend to the mud. We know all too well how to flee the mud. We all do it all the time in subtle and gross ways. We know that already, but this practice asks something different of us, to not flee, to stay there, to unflinchingly lean into our suffering so that we can have the possibility of seeing the truth of our suffering. So as I do this practice of, of not fleeing my suffering, it's really interesting what I, what I learn about my suffering. So one of the things I've learned about it is that usually my suffering lasts about 10 to 12 breaths. You know, it has its own life cycle. It comes on, Breathing in and out, it stays. Breathing in and out, maybe it gets more intense, more less intense, whatever it is. But by 10 or 11 breaths, my suffering really can dissipate and it just moves right through. But if I don't stay with it, I don't see that. I think it's something I have to run from. And I've decided, well, I can be with pretty much anything for 10 or 12 breaths. So bring it on. Bring it on. I kind of think, I think of my suffering like the Wizard of Oz. You know, in, in the Wizard of Oz, you, the, the wizard has built this great huge orifice, or edifice, excuse me, uh, edifice of, of this castle. And, and the, you know, the, the characters come down the hallway and there's, there's all this sound and they're all shaking. And they get to the, the Wizard of Oz and it's the, the, the big projection of this image above and there's flames that shoot up and all this stuff. And they're just frightened to be. And then Toto runs up and pulls the curtain back and you see a frightened little old man they're pulling all these dials and pretending that, that the Wizard of Oz is some great and powerful thing, but it's really just this scared guy behind the curtain. 
You know, and my suffering wants to say, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. It wants to be powerful and something. But if I can not flee it, I see it for what it is. It's made up of little constituent elements that don't have that much power. And the only thing that held it together as the great and powerful Oz was my idea about it. So when I don't flee, I see the truth of it. I see that the truth that my, my suffering is impermanent. It lasts 10 or 12 breaths usually. I see that my suffering is not my fault. I've been beating myself up and trying to avoid the suffering for so long because I thought it was some shameful thing. No, it arose from all kinds of conditions. Some I caused, most I didn't. It's not the Wizard of Oz. It's something simple that I can be with. So in that concentrated space of not fleeing our suffering, the possibility of insight arises. The possibility of insight arises. Mindfulness, concentration, and insight. This is the core of the practice that Thai has transmitted to us. I'm using different words for it. That's the core of our practice. But the last one, um, feeding, not feeding our suffering. This is something that's a little bit subtle. And I like to think of this as feeding as a near enemy of concentration. It's something like concentration, but it has morphed into something different. And it can be a little bit subtle to see when that happens. So I'd like to talk about not feeding our suffering now. So we have, to, we have made a vow to feel it, to know when it arises, and then once we know it, to not flee it, to not run away from it. But now we have to be very careful that that itself doesn't become feeding of our suffering. So what do I mean by feeding of our suffering? To feed our suffering is to become caught in our suffering. To feed our suffering is to become caught in it. It's very easy for this to happen because suffering can overwhelm us. It feels extremely strong and painful sometimes, and that can sweep us away. And so unlike feeling our suffering, where we are the kind observer, like watching the movie, or this kind observer, when we're feeling, when we are feeding our suffering, we are now our suffering's victim. You know, when we are feeling it and not fleeing it, we are learning from our suffering. When we flip over into feeding it, it owns us. It's a monster that we keep giving feed to. So what does it look like to feed our suffering? Well, when the suffering appears, we start offering it extra energy. Uh, we turn up the volume. You know, we give it more gas. We throw more logs on the fire. We make it into something even bigger than it was when it started. 
Um, so it shows up a few ways for me, and you might recognize this. One of the ways that, that I feed my suffering is when I begin to ruminate on it. I'm no longer observing it. I'm feeding it the energy of rumination. And I do this by turning the story over again and again and again in my mind. And every time I do that, I seem to turn more into the hero and the person that I may be in conflict with turns more into the villain. You know, I'm feeding my suffering. So another way that I, um, I ruminate uh, on and feed my suffering is the opposite. Not, not as though uh, I'm making myself the hero, but I feed my shame and my regret. Oh, I did that. Ugh. And, and I do that either by cringing increasingly over my action. How could I be so stupid? How could I have done that? Oh. Or maybe by starting to tr explain my actions away. Well, I only did that because she said. Blah, 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 blah. But the point is that I'm ruminating about this and I'm feeding it energy. So those are kind of those are kind of feeding things about the past, but we can also feed our suffering about the future. So here's what I might do around that. Um, what about feeding my anxiety? So I can feed my anxiety by anticipating future events and trying to bring everything under control. And of course, we know that this isn't possible. So I spend hours sometimes thinking through, thinking through, thinking through, planning, 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 all to make myself feel in control. And when I finally arrive at the event, it's nothing like I imagined. It was just a complete waste of time. I spent hours in the lobby missing my life. Okay, so let's try and put it all together. How do we do this? How do we feel without fleeing or feeding? Let's talk about how we feel first. In order to feel, we come home to ourselves in the present moment. We come home to ourselves in the present moment. And returning to our breath is the classic way to do this. It's the classic way to return ourselves to the here and now. So when I come back to my breath, I open up a space and in that space, I can feel my life. It's like when you're in the movie theater, you decide to actually open your eyes and be the kind observer of the movie of your life. Before you came back to your breath, maybe your eyes were closed. So we come back to our breath. And in those moments when we've come back to our breath and we're here for our life and suffering arises into that open space, because inevitably it will, then we vow to feel it. We say, I can be with this. And my hope for all of us is when we do that, we trust our own wisdom and our own experience. Your wisdom is what knows that suffering is present for you in this moment. No one can tell you that from outside. Your wisdom knows that. 
and your wisdom knows from your own experience that your suffering arises from causes and conditions that are beyond your control. No need to judge yourself for your suffering. And in that open space, your wisdom knows that your old ways of meeting your suffering have not set you free. They haven't. It hasn't worked. All this rumination, all this feeding of your suffering, all this fleeing of your suffering, it has not worked. So you vow to feel your suffering here and now. You vow to trust your mindfulness practice. And once you're there, once you're there, once you make this vow to be there and feel it, then the next step, step is you don't flee. You really feel it in a sustained way. You vow to use your concentration so that you can be a student instead of a victim. Thank you, Joanne Friday, for that distinction. A very good, very good teaching she offered. So when I, when I want to not flee my suffering, it really helps for me to establish a loving, kind relationship with it. So I like to say things like, hello, my dear suffering, I know that you're here. Please tell me what I need to know. Tell me about yourself. Where do you come from? I'm here to listen and I'm here to understand. I won't leave you. So as I stay with that suffering, I notice any attempt I'm making to start to feed it to cross that fine line between saying, I'm going to be here for you and I'm going to feed you. I notice because it's subtle and my mind wants to do that. So I really have to notice when I'm being swept away by my suffering instead of learning from my suffering. Notice when I ruminate instead of witness my suffering. So I notice when I start to feed my suffering instead of feel my suffering. And when I find that that's happening, when I find that I've tipped over into starting to feed my suffering, I start again. I come back to my breath. I come back to my vow to feel this life. And I start all over again. So that's the practice. Feel our lives don't flee our lives, don't flee our suffering, and don't feed our suffering. That's the practice. I hope you'll join me, because the world needs us to do this. I need to do this together with you, because I can't do this on my own. We can't do this alone. So please, will you join me feeling your life and not fleeing your suffering and not feeding your suffering? 
Let's end with the sound of the bell.